You're listening to Pod Wars with Evan, Gary, and Justice. Hey guys, this is Gary, and welcome to another episode of Pod Wars. On Pod Wars, we like to dissect Star Wars, Marvel, and our favorite little tidbits of geeky media. I'm here today with the boy with the Skrillex haircut, Evan. Hey guys, quarantine changed me. <laughs> and the man with the actually professional looking haircut, Justice. What's up, guys? <laughs> so I, I got the haircut with a beard trimmer, so I don't know if that's super fresh, professional, though. <laughs> it's quarantine professional. But we want to, before we dive into the awesomeness that is the Matt Bush interview that we're going to get you guys to in a second, we want to give a little bit of our new favorite segment, Twitter Tidbits. Live, Live. in the Pod Nation, Nation, we bring we you... Bring Twitter tidbits. So for this week's Twitter tidbits, we want to give a shout out to at Jedi Mind Trick 79. Thank you for mentioning our podcast, giving us a listen. We really appreciate it. And also big thank you to Conversations for Adios and their AirPod squad. BT Dub, one of their latest podcasts, has a fantastic rant on why Yoda is sucky, which I really appreciated. Even though I love Yoda, I appreciated that. Um, Justice, you have a little teaser for Comic of the Week for next week? Yes, I do. I finished the second trade for Baby Teeth, written by Donny Cates. So uh, check us out next week where I go over it and maybe have a little bit of the third trade in it. So fun stuff ahead of us for next week. But guys, I'm excited for you to listen to our interview with Star Wars illustrator Matt Bush. We're very lucky tonight to have a new friend come on to the show. Today we have Matt Bush, an illustrator, filmmaker, director, and all-around awesome guy joining us. How are you doing today, Matt? I'm doing awesome. Thank you so much for having me on, guys. No problem, man. It's great to have you. Um, I remember meeting you at Star Wars Celebration, and I, I bought one print, and you were super generous and gave me all these cool freebies, like a little card backer of you and Kylo Ren posters, and now oh, you're... Cool. Uh, you're here on the show, so I'm super excited. Yes, and um, you should feel honored by this. It was your uh, Kylo Ren poster was the only, well, the main Star Wars thing my wife actually allowed me to hang up in our apartment. So <laughs> that was a momentous occasion for me. The Knights of Ren of all the Star Wars things. She was like, oh, I don't know. This kind of fits the living room. Yeah, <laughs> right? Like, it fits the whole, like, feng shui of the place, you know? Yeah, Gary's our, right. Gary's our closet Kylo Ren lover. I'm not even closet, man. I love Kylo Ren. <laughs> but, awesome. But we want to give you guys, if you're not familiar with Matt's work, just a little bit of an idea of some of the stuff he's done here. Um, first off, Matt's been an illustrator for Star Wars for quite a while now. What is it, about 20 years, Matt? Uh, it's actually uh, 26 years. Hey, congrats. We've been doing uh, Star Wars art. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. And he's done a lot of stuff of... Obviously, at the conventions is where Evan and Justice mentioned him, been to a lot of the Star Wars celebrations, does some work both with Legends comics and novels, and has been working a lot recently, too, on his own film, Aladdin 3477. That's right. Heck yeah, man. Dude, do it and all. You forgot to mention, as the Instagram bio says, he's a dashing professor. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> I, I, love, I love that. Um, well, Matt. Our first question for most um, of our interviews and our guests on the show is, what is your favorite Star Wars movie? Um, 
I mean, I hate to be like boring and and typical, but I mean, it's it's Empire Strikes Back. Does anyone not say? Does anyone not say Empire Strikes Back? The loser to my right says A New Hope, which is fair, but I mean, who who doesn't say Empire? That's awesome. Yeah. yeah, I think every guest says that. And I think that's reflected in your art a lot is you do a lot of the chunky bounty hunters and stuff. You love you love those guys from that movie, huh? I do. I do. Well, I think the other thing too is um Star Wars blew my mind when it came out. It blew it blew everyone's mind. But what was really kind of interesting is the age I was when it came out, Star Wars, I was 4 years old. So for the next 3 years me and all my friends, whenever you would play with Star Wars figures or we sometimes you just play and you pretend, you know, this is before we had like cosplay and costumes and stuff like that. But whenever you played Star Wars, there were only three places your story would take place. You would either be on the Death Star or <laughs> you would be at the crazy cantina or you'd be in the desert with Jawas and the Star Wars universe was just that like it never occurs to a little kid that it could be on other planets and other crazy places so the empire strikes back then being seven years old where you really start understanding just more storytelling and there's all obviously the cool philosophy with like the force and yoda and all that stuff but your mind just explodes like wow (laughs) like there could be there could be cities and clouds and like uh, these really cool cats that are fine administrators of that facility, and just like all these things that you would never think about, and it just wow. it just exploded my mind. And it, to be three years later, just everything the Empire was just took everything amazing of Star Wars and just you know took it in a whole nother dimension. So uh, uh, so I got to go with Empire, and part of it's just the nostalgia of that, but mm. uh, how crazy that movie was. That's awesome. I mean, you had the greatest reveal of all time in that movie and arguably has changed, you know, some of the, the course of like how movies go nowadays. So definitely is one of the best, you know, Star Wars movies of all time. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And being a little kid too, watching that kind of actually watching a movie with the bad guys sort of win at the end is another crazy thing just in itself. So mm. lots of Empire Strikes Back love. Yeah, I yeah. I usually watch it on like snow days up here in Wisconsin, which is basically yeah. like nine months of the year. <laughs> Yeah, but I never had a solid snow day, so I watched it um, on the 40th anniversary, which was that was last Thursday, right? So something like that, yeah. yeah. And, and you had snow last Thursday? <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no, no. Thank God we didn't. I just, I just watched. Nah, it the so Thursday that, before that though, it was snowed out. It was awful. Yeah, but but then you did like a 25 year anniversary for the poster for that, right? I did. I did a, a 25th anniversary poster. And then a 30th anniversary art print for Empire Strikes Back. That's awesome. I, uh, my buddy at Star Wars Celebration, you were like, you were giving out that poster at certain times, and that was like, mm-hmm. he, he was stoked about it. And when we came back and bought the Pan of Prime print, he was like, yeah. he's like, dude, like, can I just buy the poster? And and you threw it in there for free, and he's got that on his wall too. So that's a cool awesome. piece. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. While we're on that topic, we're. We're we're kind of like we like to talk about and make fun of the Star Wars holiday special. So yeah, I have to. <laughs> we, <laughs> I have to ask you what. First of all, what like sparked the inspiration for that piece, and what like made you know Star Wars Celebration want to back that and put that you know put their label on that because they kind of they kind of hide from the holiday special Lucasfilm, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, 
for the for the Star Wars celebrations, it's really cool because they give us artists um, complete reign to kind of do whatever we want. Of course, not everyone gets in, so you're always running the risk of I want to do something cool, but it if it kind of if it's a little controversial or whatever, or, or maybe they don't want you know to go with it if it's the holiday special. <laughs> but the challenge is. Um, especially before uh, Disney, this was right. Yeah, this was before Disney uh, bought Lucasfilm. So there was no new movies on the way, no new nothing. And so the challenge for many years was how do we do something new and exciting in Star Wars that people haven't seen before? Because you can only do so many paintings of Darth Vader before it's like, <laughs> all right. It's another Dark Lord of the Sith, and there's smoke, there's smoke behind him in this one. You know, like how do you how do you keep it alive? And um, so uh, I've always um, I've always I mean I'm not really a fan of the holiday special, but I always thought the cartoon was really interesting, and uh, and it's the first appearance of Boba Fett, and I always thought like man they should have done more with that cartoon like that if we had that for two hours, the holiday special might've been amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and still maybe kind of corny, but still really kind of uh, at least bearable to sit through, you know? <laughs> yeah. So it's definitely uh, the highlight of that, of, of the holiday special. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What? So, tw- 20 um, minutes of Wookiee talking. Isn't, isn't the highlight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One thing well, I did I, love with that print though, is like, I remember Evan showed it to me. I'm like, wow, this is a really badass print. Like, how did you get this inspiration from the holiday special? (laughs) Like, it's super cool. Like, you found the one part of that that was actually cool and just, like, accentuated it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I thought, um, I just thought it would be really neat uh, to see if you took that bit of it, that piece of the story, what if they actually filmed that? What if they, Hmm. you know, and they had the sea monsters and everything else and the... uh, the Y-Wing landing in the water and then like that becoming like a little boat or whatever. I just thought that was so rad. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of the, uh, the inspiration. And I actually, um, a lot of people don't know this, but because a lot of the work that I do is photo based, you know, it's kind of photo realistic. So I either have to find rare reference or screenshots, or I hire models sometimes to cosplay and wear the costumes and to try to make everything authentic. Well, there's no sea monsters. They're, they're called Panna dragons, those creatures. So um, in order to get the lighting just right, I actually sculpted a Panna dragon um, and I lit it and I kind of, I sprayed it to make it look wet, you know, with like all the, the scales and stuff like that. And I took photos um, just to make it a little more realistic than if I was just making it up out of my head. I mean, I can I can make stuff up out of my head, but it, um, to really have it that kind of larger than life quality, I actually had to I had to sculpt the the Panna Dragon before uh, before painting it. Gosh, yeah. that's that's awesome. The, yeah, the, to think about the like the work that goes into it, and that and yeah, that's based off an original painting you did, which I saw that at at the at star celebration. It's just like, is like a wingspan long. It's huge. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a big painting. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. Do you prefer to paint or, or draw, hand draw or what, what do you like to do? I do. I, I really like working with my hands. I just, um, part, part of it's probably because I'm old. Um, but I, I'm a huge proponent of digital technology. I'm, pro- I'm definitely on a computer working creatively more than I am at, at my drawing desk. But I just really like, um, I just like seeing how colors mix. I like working with texture and seeing how the pencil scrapes across the board. Um, That said, anything that I do that's traditional, 
always gets scanned in. I'm always touching it up in Photoshop and kind of playing around. And more and more, I'm starting to infuse more um, uh, digital into that and sometimes kind of going back and forth. Um, but uh, for the most part, I like working traditional and um, the kind of business person in me. I like that I can create a piece of art, get paid for it. But then if there's an original piece, then I can sell that too. And hopefully yeah. Uncle Uncle George Lucas buys it, hopefully. But yeah, right? uh, even if it doesn't, <laughs> to, uh, uh, to sell it to a collector is just like a really cool thing. And it just makes it... Uh, um, it's kind of nice when you can kind of double the, uh, the income from, uh, from that work. Uh, I, I enjoy that. If you, if I do it digital, it's just ones and zeros and yeah. I still get paid, but then, you know, there's no, there's no original. I like when there's an original, when there's yeah. like a one of a kind thing that exists, you know? I think but. that's a very like, yeah, an artistic thing is you want that, that one raw piece. And yeah, I think that's cool. That makes me think of a question that I wanted to ask. I didn't really write it down for you, but. Um, yeah. is, who, like, have you sold a piece of art? Like who's the most famous person you've interacted with or sold something to or at a con or something? Um, well, I would probably George Lucas, um, <laughs> is, uh, yeah, I would say probably George Lucas, but, um, and George has nearly 400 of my drawings and paintings. And wow. for a while wow. there, almost pretty much everything I was uh, offering to him, Dang. he would just take, uh, which was, uh, which was very nice. And it, uh, it helped get, uh, it helped funding for Aladdin 3477. I was saving it Dude. for my rainy day. And so that, uh, that helped out quite a bit. Uh, uh, but, um, trying to think who else famous, um, Charlie Sheen for a while wanted me to do a painting of something really, really <laughs> crass. And I, I, done it. I, I, I never did it. I never did it. I should have taken him up on it. Um, and then, uh, we're going to have to ask after the show, <laughs> what Charlie Sheen wanted yeah, yeah. from you. <laughs> I, I can tell you what it, I can tell you, I guess I can, t I can maybe say it. So it isn't crass. Um, he wanted, uh, a painting of Cindy Crawford and Sherilyn Fenn. I don't know if you know, who she is, she was the, uh, brunette that was on, uh, Twin Peaks. Okay. Okay. Um, gorgeous gal. Uh, he wanted the two of them uh, with no clothes on, um, doing something that resembles a number less than 100. <laughs> <laughs> and he wanted it as this giant painting uh, to hang over his fireplace. I'm not kidding. Oh, man. Oh, my gosh. Wow. You know... I mean, hey, he picked he picked the right artist to do it. I feel like. <laughs> wow, that's that's great. Didn't you meet J.J. Uh, Abrams one time as well? Yes, um, and I've I've been in contact with him several times, but I actually did get to meet with him and chat with him, and and I swear to God, this is an absolute true story. Uh, it was the when I met him, it was at the Star Wars celebration in Los Angeles, and surprisingly, uh, I was a huge huge fan. Um, from Lost was like the big thing mm. uh, at the time that I was really excited about, but it was just announced that he was go going to direct the Star Trek movie, um, which I'm not a huge, uh, huge Star Trek fan, although I love what he did with Star Trek. But um, I remember specific, and we talked for a while, um, he actually wanted to meet me because his kids 
he would watch the You Can Draw Star Wars videos with his kids. Mm -hmm. And that was the first weekend, uh, I believe, that the You Can Draw Star Wars, the first season was on DVD. He wanted the DVD to work with um, with his kids. I, wow. So it was really crazy that uh, that's how we met. But um, I remember specifically saying, that's cool, you're doing Star Trek. Man, that would be great if one day you directed a Star Wars movie. Wow. And he was just kind of like, yeah, that'll never happen, you know, kind of thing. I'm like, I don't know. What if? What if? That's awesome. Dang, man. That's special. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Well, we did mention one of the most famous eras in Star Wars, the holiday special. But we were wondering, of all the eras of Star Wars, which one is your personal favorite? <laughs> Um, well, I mean, again, I hate to be like the old person in the room and say the original trilogy, but I just really like, um, I just think the way things look, there's just, uh, it's just got that lived in universe look and the prequels are also super cool, but the prequels almost look newer and it could be just different parts of the galaxy, of course. Um, but uh, I just really like the original trilogy. And in fact, I think one of the things that's really cool about Mandalorian is it also has that kind of original trilogy look. And uh, and Rogue One also, obviously, um, one of the things people really like about that is just the uh, just that look, that 70s and 80s, uh, you know, kind of uh, kind of future. And I, I think in general, if I can extend it just to sci fi in general. One of the things that's kind of interesting to me is when I was a kid growing up, sci-fi was so cool looking because like Star Wars, Battlestar Galactica, like even the Buck Rogers TV show, like robots had this really cool, like, like clunky kind of look. And it was just, everything was so functional looking where now uh, the reality is with kind of the way the future's going, like, you know, we've got this iPhone, which is way more powerful than, um, like a Star Trek communique, you know, back from the seventies. But this, this device is just, it's just flat. It's just a, you know, it's just like a piece of glass. And it's just like now when you're designing, uh, when most movies are designing sci-fi, it's to me, it's almost not as interesting anymore because everything is so streamlined and glass and perfect. And it just doesn't have that functionality to it anymore. Um, uh, there was that movie in uh, not not Inception, but uh, oh gosh, what was the Matthew McConaughey movie? Interstellar. Interstellar. Thank That's you. It. I thought that movie was great, and I loved that robot that was just like a giant sheet of metal that would kind <laughs> of move into things and then go back into the like. I thought that was brilliant. But like, that's kind of the future. Like, mm -hmm. like what else can you do? Like, because everything is kind of just yeah, so streamlined. You know? Yeah, thinner and thinner and. Yeah, like practical, but no, no pizzazz to the looks. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, but thinking of some of the new gen stuff, do you feel like you've had a chance to kind of artistically dive into the new stuff with the Mandalorian that you mentioned, the Clone Wars series, any of the sequel trilogy? I have not as much. Um, uh, I've been spending most of my time working on the Aladdin movie, but whenever Star Wars calls, I usually it's very hard for me to say no, because obviously Star Wars is my first love. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, but I have been I've been doing all the celebration pieces um, and I've been doing a little a little bit of stuff here and there. I actually have five projects that I, unfortunately I can't talk about them, but I do have five Star Wars 
uh, projects in some at some degree of the works where they're either completely finished and just waiting to come out or it's going to happen, but it, I just haven't been given the green light to start yet. Cool. Um, so there's some there's some new stuff on the way, but um, I've only done a couple Clone Wars pieces and just uh, you know a couple prints from the new uh, sequel trilogy. There just hasn't been as much. Um, uh, I don't think there's been as much going around. A lot of it is just uh, Disney generated, and they kind of do style guides with the stock stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I love seeing the stuff that's going on. And I I enjoyed um, for the most part. I enjoyed the uh, sequel trilogy, but um, I just haven't been as involved mm-hmm. um, uh, as much recently. But I hope that's something that uh, once this whole Aladdin thing finishes, I hope it's not like. Cricket, 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 cricket. And I'm like, hello, remember me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, and I want to get into talking about uh, the film you've you've been working on. But one more thing. I I mm. really liked your your baby Yoda piece with IG eleven yeah. and Mando. Or uh it had um Quill. Those are yeah. the, those are like my two favorite characters from the show and when I saw you're doing that at was that San Diego or Los Angeles, I was kind of bummed. I was like, man, I want to get my hands on one of those. But I think that's yeah. that's sold out, huh? Um, it is, but, um, PM me, uh, 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 after the thing and I'll, uh, I'll send you guys a care package. You guys are all close to each other. Yes, sir. Wow. Yeah. Gosh, hey, dude, thank God you. bless you. That's awesome. I would be excited to receive a, some, anything. Yeah. A little, a little care package. That's awesome. I'll send, I'll send you guys a care package, but awesome. you guys have to share. Yes. We'll share. Yes, thanks, Matt. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Justice. Sorry you're out there in uh, South Carolina. <laughs> No, we all used to we all used to live in the same area, and then we kind of split up. But me and Gary are still close by, so but we'll make awesome. sure we'll make sure Justice gets something. You're the man, awesome. or not? Yeah, or not? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, so we've been to a few of the cons. The guys mentioned Star Wars Celebration. Overall, what's do you have a specific favorite con experience? Yes, I do. It was actually the very first Star Wars Celebration, and what was interesting about that show. There was actually only three artists exhibiting. Um, By the way, uh, not to toot my own horn, but I'm actually the only uh, Star Wars artist that's uh, been to every single Star Wars celebration exhibiting. Wow, that's Uh, awesome. And that's all around the world too, right? mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. So um, uh, what was interesting about that show, there was only three artists. Uh, It was me, uh, a sci-fi artist named uh, James Suker, and... Uh, uh, Drew Struzan actually. And I was set up right next to Drew. It was really, uh, really incredible. But, uh, that show was, um, they decided to have it for some reason to have it in tents instead of like a normal convention center. And that weekend, Denver, Colorado got more rainfall that weekend than they did, uh, the past seven years prior put together. So, uh, there was so much, uh, uh, in the tent we were in, um, we were definitely flooded, but um, uh, the water was like up to where your knees were. So they came in with like wood pallets for us to stand on. But even then you were kind of, you know, submerged in water. So if you can imagine like a, a convention scenario where it's like, you know, attendees, they're almost like walking through a river, <laughs> like in between like all the tables and just kind of wading through, like looking at what everyone has, you know, on their tables and stuff. But there was something about it, like normally it would be like worst show ever, but 
because Star Wars was back and it was on the brink, you know, everyone was very excited about episode one. And it was just after uh, Star Wars kind of being in a dark hole for uh, for over a decade, it was just really, really an exciting time. And uh, uh, the Star Wars celebrations are always great. But uh, before we ever had one, you know, that first one of uh, of all Star Wars fans, it was just uh, it was so cool to be with family and just a just a great time. That's awesome. In, I can't imagine some people kind of <laughs> freaking out with all those different comics, figurines and whatnot worth hundreds or thousands. And then there's a huge flood going on during it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was just water. It was just like kind of water that we were standing in. So as long as no one comes up and whoosh, you know, or whatever, <laughs> I mean, you, were, you were in a tent. It was just, you know, you were just, it was just weird. You were just standing in water, you know, it was, it was crazy. Jeez. But Um, going off of, you kind of mentioned like how it was kind of a deep, dark time of Star Wars before the prequels came out, but you were kind of a part of the content being created during that time with your Tales from the Empire cover. Um, Mm -hmm. One thing I was wondering with that is what is it like with kind of the creative back and forth for creating a cover for a book? Do you get to read the book beforehand? Do they kind of communicate aspects of it? How does that process work? Uh, no, in that case, um, I did not. Usually you do not. So um, in most cases for book covers, and back then I was reading uh, all of the Star Wars novels as a fan, you know. Um, but uh, no, they usually give you just kind of bullet points and what character or characters they want to see. And then you are providing sketches. And in some case, uh, in most cases, Usually I'm pretty lucky and they like everything I do and I rarely have changes in the sketch process or when the piece is finished. Um, And then there have been other times where, uh, you know, depending on who your art director is, sometimes they don't know what they, you can tell they have no idea what they want until you just start generating artwork. And then it's like, no, not that. Try something like this. And you kind of already know, like you do, you do exactly what they say. And then once they see it, no, not that, you know, and then it just keeps going and going and oh my gosh. And sometimes there'll be up to like 30 different sketches before finally they choose something. And at that point it's because there's a deadline and they just, they have to pick something. Um, It's frustrating though, because sometimes, sometimes, I mean, there are amazing art directors and they make good calls and you have to sketch something over to make it better. Sometimes I feel like they just want to show that they are doing their job. And if they just say yes to everything, the artist sketch, uh, if they don't have an opinion to change something, are they really doing their job, you know, kind of thing? Yeah. So so sometimes it gets a little, uh, um, a little frustrating. It's frustrating when you're working for someone who's not a Star Wars fan. Mm. That's frustrating because when you know Star Wars and like, you kind of know what the fans would like or what they would want. And uh, you're working for someone at one of the licensees that um, maybe they are a really good designer or maybe they are really good at marketing or they've, uh, they've forged their way into the industry. But if they're not really into Star Wars, it's just uh, um, it shows, you know, and, and you can kind of tell. And um, uh, so there's all these really crazy things about how, uh, uh, 
you've probably seen book covers where like the Millennium Falcon will have the cockpit on the wrong side because <laughs> they just decided, oh, it'll look better if you just if you just mirror image and flip it like this. Like, <laughs> who wouldn't notice that? You know? <laughs> Obviously, yeah. if you're not a Star Wars fan, you wouldn't notice that. But. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Wow. So you'd almost rather have them be a little bit picky, like they're a fan themselves kind of loving on the material then, right? Or would I would say so. I would say, yeah, I would say, um, absolutely. Um, as like kind of a flip flop example, um, uh, when I was, uh, when I was already doing star Wars material, I had an agent that, um, I started working with in publishing and because I already had all the star Wars stuff locked down, she said, what would you like to work on? What would you really be into? And, um, I, I'll never forget. It was the year 2000 because it was the year before the first Lord of the Rings movie came out. And it was also the year before the first Harry Potter movie uh, came out. And uh, so everyone was very excited about both franchises. I didn't know anything about Harry Potter, but uh, when I was a kid, I used to read the Hobbit with my dad and I knew my dad, you know, read all the, you know, the Tolkien books and everything. So I told my agent, listen, if you can get me on anything Lord of the Rings I'm in, I would love to do it. She said, you got it. No problem. So a month later, she called me and she said, are you ready for this? I have I have this. I've been working really hard to get this gig for you. You are going to love it. You are the new artist and writer of the book, How to Draw Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> And I was just like, oh, like, well, you don't sound very excited. And I said, well, Harry Potter, I, I don't know anything about Harry Potter. She's like, what are you talking about? You love Harry Potter. And I said, no. I said, I mentioned something about Lord of the Rings. And she goes, that's not the same thing. I was like, oh, my God. Oh my God. <laughs> so the thing was, I felt really bad. I actually had to turn her down because, and I said, give me a day to think about it. But I went to uh, I went to the bookstore. I didn't know anything about Harry Potter because I thought maybe this would be really fun. I don't know. I started looking through all these books and the only thing they had at the time was, you know, the covers of the books, which looked really cool. But I just started flipping through having not read the books. I'm just like, what's a Dumbledore? You know? <laughs> what's a Slytherin? Like, I don't know. To me, it just sounded like work. I'm like, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know. Anyway, so I had to pass because to me, I was thinking there are probably people on this planet that would kill to be the artist or writer of the book, How to Draw Harry Potter, why would I take that from someone and be like miserable doing it? You know, I just don't. Um, yeah, I so yeah, I think, I, I think absolutely. It really shows when you've got uh, people that love it. Um, uh, I'd say that's true of Star Wars or Marvel or anything really. Um, otherwise it's just work. And then, you know, who wants that? Yeah, <laughs> who wants to work for a living? <laughs> Well, speaking of working but loving what you're doing, how has this process been going from being, you know, a painter to a professor to a movie director? What how have how have you enjoyed um working on your movie Aladdin 3477? What what has that been like? It has been well, it's been a lot of uh uh blood, sweat and tears, uh but it has also been uh just super super rewarding. I um my background is primarily illustration, but I got my start in Hollywood working on everything from storyboarding movies to working on the ad campaigns for movies and character design and all kinds of different stuff. Uh, but it's uh, most people know me for the Star Wars publishing and stuff has just kind of given me the most uh, recognition. 
Um, but also growing up, I used to, my parents had a, uh, a VHS video cassette recorder camera and I would make my own ninja movies uh, with my friends in the eighties. So I kind of, um, that's kind of always been this thing that's there. So it, it definitely seemed very natural um, having storyboarded uh, a lot in Los Angeles um, for this tri uh, trilogy of live action movies. I have storyboarded every single frame, um, wow. which was actually very, very helpful to get uh, cast and crew on board with my vision. So it was actually, in that sense, it was actually very natural, very, very easy. But um, I'm super, super excited about it. I think um, I think fans are going, and when I say fans, we, we don't really have fans yet because no one has seen the movies. <laughs> but I think in general, when I say fans, I mean like pop culture fans, you know, like... Uh, uh, obviously anyone that would go to Star Wars Celebration or comic book fans, it uh, it definitely has a Star Wars feel to it, kind of an Indiana Jones feel to it, but it's a trilogy, uh, and because it's kind of an Act 1, Act 2, Act 3, it's very much, it's kind of the scope, it's, it's nothing like Lord of the Rings, but the scope of it is kind of like Lord of the Rings, just with the uh, amount of characters, and it's this global adventure and um, uh, it's mostly done with practical effects. So uh, anyone that's a fan of uh, Star Wars or, uh, or uh, just any cool, you know, old school stuff that we grew up with, it's definitely uh, kind of a throwback to that. So I'm, uh, I'm super excited to see, uh, to start sharing more about it and uh, to see what people think. Yeah. Um, speaking of the practical effects, I I saw that like MTV Cribs parody that you did on YouTube with a, yeah. Attack on Show. And I mean, yeah. first of all, your house is just like a collector's dream. You have all these cool collectibles from Star Wars and everything. But yeah. I, you know, I saw some pieces from from your movie and like uh, the droid in your film. I don't know if you call them droids or robots for your, yeah. for, for your uh, film. They're, they're robots. Droids is a Star Wars thing. Yeah. I, I would love to call them droids, but I don't know. Yeah, yeah. No, and that that guy looks super cool. Yeah, what's his, uh, Fidgy was his name? Fidgy. Is yeah. That, hold on. I'll, I'll, uh, oh, if you have a little thing of him, that'll be awesome. <laughs> I don't have a little thing of him. I actually have him. Oh, the sweet. actual movie the prop. actual. Because I remember seeing that prop, and that, it, to me, it looked like it could be in a, in a Star Wars movie. <laughs> Just <laughs> like he gives me a, an R2-D2, BB-8 kind of vibe, but in a new creative way. Yeah, I like the bug eyes. He, the Dang. It's so awesome. Dude, <laughs> the way he moves. So he's, he's a practical puppet, huh? Yeah. Wow. Totally. Wow, that's awesome. He's so cool. <laughs> Does he fly? Like, what's his thing? Like, what, what is his special, like, his secret ability? He, you know, I don't know if he, uh, his secret ability is just, um, uh, he's, he's, his name is Fidgy, so he's very fidgety, and um, he's Aladdin's sidekick, so he's really good at um, stealing things. Uh, oh, right. good. Uh, yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's a little kleptomaniac, but he's uh, uh, Aladdin's little... Uh, his, uh, his little sidekick. That's awesome. So, what's, uh, You know, it's funny. Uh, a quick thing I have to say, because I know I'm going to get a lot of heat for this uh, when it comes out. So I actually created Fiji. He didn't look exactly like this, but I created Fiji uh, almost 30 years ago. Wow. 
Wow. Um, I started making him as like a comic book. He didn't look like this, but uh, it was a, a there, it wasn't Aladdin yet. It was this other character I, I made that was like an intergalactic con artist. And Fiji was this robot that just kind of floats by his shoulder and everything. And when I created Fiji, I said, okay, I want this Fiji to have cool white armor. And I want to have color accents. I don't want it to be blue because that would be like R2-D2. I don't want it to be red because that would be like R5-D4. What color would I use? And I was like, not purple, not green. I was like, oh, my gosh, orange. Orange is like a cool like 80s, 70s robot color, you know? So I figured like orange stripes and stuff. So uh, we actually uh, started filming the same day that Star Wars The Force Awakens started filming. Wow. And uh, so when that first trailer came out and I saw what BB-8 looked like, I was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> Everyone is going to think. Because he's kind of a round droid, you know, and he's got the, you know, the orange stripes and stuff. I was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> Everyone is going to think, like, ooh, nice BB-8 robot, you know, kind of uh, thing. Had to have been wondering when you met JJ, did I leave any, like, drawings out there or something for <laughs> yeah, him to take yeah, from? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, uh, so uh, it's just I, – I like to think of it as uh, great minds think alike, I guess. But yeah. um but I think in general, there's nothing new under the sun. Everything, even the original yeah. Star Wars movie, is a throwback to Flash Gordon and the uh, Magnificent yeah. Seven. And there's, I mean, there's uh, something. I mean, there's any cool idea has to come from from somewhere, you know, bits and pieces. And uh, so obviously, Aladdin thirty four seventy seven is no exception. Lots of influences from Star Wars and other uh, other uh, movies and uh, and stories I grew up with. Hey. But I think we're getting ahead of ourselves as people who are familiar with it. Let's. Would you be able to give a little kind of synopsis for the fans who are unfamiliar with Aladdin 3477, kind of what your vision is for the film, what to expect from it? Yeah. So um, uh, essentially it is the story of uh, Aladdin, but it is set 1,500 years in the future, and uh, which is about uh, 1,500 years from now. Um, I just said that twice, but it's, uh, uh, it's 3477. It's actually the 1500th anniversary of star Wars. Mm -hmm. And that was just an accident. Uh, but, awesome. uh, but, uh, it's, um, uh, and it's, it's just this really cool, uh, global, um, adventure where Aladdin, obviously he, uh, he meets a djinn and he's given, uh, a wish and he falls in love with the princess. And so that's the basic, you know, uh, kind of thing of it. But it's so much more. There's so many more characters. Uh, it's uh, it's the it's the biggest version of Aladdin you've ever seen. And uh, there's all these kind of interwoven storylines that kind of go uh, with it. There's incredible martial arts in the movie. There's lots of practical effects, lots of robots and uh, cool vehicles and um Action and humor, uh, they're very funny, uh, not in a kind of slapstick blue genie kind of way, but they're just uh, like Star Wars or Indiana Jones. That's kind of the uh, the feel for it. But um, but it took uh, five years of filming to film these three movies, and they are uh, now in post-production and uh, looking amazing, sounding amazing. And uh, the goal, I would love to release them a year apart, similar to the Lord of the Rings movies. I just think that would be a really cool way to do it, as opposed to having to wait three years or so in between each one. 
and uh, uh, they are truly independent films. I started with a nice chunk of money from Uncle George Lucas, as I mentioned. Yeah. <laughs> but that money actually ran out within the first like two months of filming. And uh, after that, it was all credit cards uh, maxing out. And uh, uh, yeah, it was uh, it was it was rough. But um, uh, I think we uh, I think we did something super cool. And uh, uh, I've been you know teasing little little photos here and there, but um, waiting to uh, uh, I think there is such a thing as too much too soon. So I'm waiting to make that big splash and. Uh, I think people are, are going to really be into it. It might just be worst case scenario. It might have a small cult following where it's one of those drinking movies, you know, that people, <laughs> every time something corny happens, people uh, take a drink or something, or it might be, uh, I don't know. I think people are really going to dig it. I think it's going to be, uh, uh, I mean, it's not going to be star Wars, but uh, I think uh, it's good. I think we've got something really special and I can't wait to, uh, to share it with everyone. Yeah, man. I can't wait to see it. I'm hoping, yeah, someone picks it up. You're able to do a cool indie release or something, and I can't wait to see yeah. it. Um, I like how you said you you filmed the – I like how you filmed the trilogy, and you're going to release it a year apart. I think uh, I think Star Wars could learn something from you. You know, having one solid trilogy idea before putting it out. <laughs> but he's, Oh, yeah, as yeah. opposed to just – each movie handing it to someone different. Now it's your turn. <laughs> the popcorn game. Someone adds yeah. something to the story. So, so we we commend you for that. Um, how's it been with kind of that production? This whole whole new world. Pardon the Aladdin pun of <laughs> going into filmmaking and the practical effects. I mean, it must give you a newfound respect for Lucas and all your filmmakers and people that you grew up admiring. Definitely. And in fact, it's, um, it's funny cause I've always been interested in the story, especially of the first star Wars, everything that, uh, George Lucas kind of went through in order to uh, make that film. But, uh, it, I mean, man, it was, uh, it was definitely a lot of those things happened where sets were ruined or, uh, obviously you get rained out. Um, uh, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. And it's, it's just amazing though, because a lot of times those, the things that don't work force you to be creative and find ways to, to make it happen. So uh, as an example, in that first Star Wars film, most of the time that you see R2-D2 rolling around, if you don't actually see his feet, it's because there's a rope tied to his feet and someone's actually just pulling R2 <laughs> uh, on a rope because they couldn't get the remote control to work, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's, uh, there's a lot of neat uh, uh, things that we did with this movie too, where we just kind of worked with what we had and, uh, and uh, just tried to find a, made a, a way to make it work. And uh, that's half the fun, you know, yeah. coming up with, the, uh, uh, with answering those, uh, those problems. And I think sometimes you, it becomes like your favorite part almost like I've, you know, I've have a band and record music and sometimes like something just goes wrong or, you know, like one time a tambourine fell off the wall. We're like, well, let's just keep that in there. It's kind of cool. Or, uh, yeah, yeah. It's just fun. And it, it kind of adds, it adds kind of like a personality to what you work on, I guess. Yeah. One of my favorite stories like that is, uh, is, uh, Van Halen has a song called I'll, uh, I think it's I'll wait. 
uh, or no, I, I, is that all wait or girl gone bad? I can't remember, but one of those off the 1984 album where there's this really cool at the end, there's this crazy drum fill that just, it sounds so bizarre. It doesn't really fit the tempo of the rest of the song. And it's just this do, 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 you know, kind of thing. And I love it. And, uh, I found out in later years that at the very end of the song, Alex dropped his drumsticks and they just went down and he was like, Oh man. And they're like, that actually sounded kind of cool. Let's just leave it. You know? Yeah. And, and that's what it is. You know, it doesn't sound like it's a mistake, but it totally was. That's great. A question. Do you have some cameos in your movie? Um, we do. Uh, uh, there's an artist named Blue Stolly who is a, uh, a music artist. He has a lot of um, music that's in like uh, the X-Men movies and stuff like that. And uh, he has a cameo um, in the second movie. And then uh, also in the second movie, there's another music artist named Cell Dweller who does a lot of the music for the Marvel movies, especially the trailers. Usually what you're listening to is Cell Dweller. Wow. And um, he was supposed to have a cameo. And um, at the last minute, it was actually the last day of shooting. Um, he couldn't make it uh, from L.A. So um, I actually stepped in. And so now that's my cameo is uh, is the cool cameo that he was supposed to have. Hey. Um, <laughs> and uh, and I can't wait to uh, uh, share that with you guys when uh, once that comes out. It's movie two as well. So uh, it's a little bit down the road, but um, trying to think if there's any other cameos there are, you know, because um, there were some uh, actors and actresses that we like had auditions for that we hired, but also I had to uh, rely on the help of friends to play parts and also to help out behind the scenes. And because a lot of my friends are artists, there are actually a lot of artists that are in the film. And in fact, some Star Wars artists. Like awesome. uh, Alex Bouchelle and Lindsay and Bill Polkowski. And I know I'm forgetting some off the top of my head, but um, uh, yeah, so it's uh, it's kind of a neat, uh, a neat thing to have uh, some artists in there. That's great, man. I'm super, yeah, I'm just super excited for you and all you're doing. And hopefully we can uh, meet again at a Star Wars celebration if that, yeah. ever, if that ever happens again. I mean, our, is there any word know. on this year's? I haven't really seen an update. There is, uh, there is not. I don't know what's uh, happening with it. A lot of people are theorizing that um, uh, it's not going to happen, but they're waiting officially from uh, from the state to kind of give confirmation. Mm-hmm. Um, so that probably will happen within the next uh, uh, couple weeks. But. Um, but I honestly don't know. Uh, some people are also uh, suggesting that they might cancel it, but they might have a version of it online, mm-hmm. um, which I think would be really cool. Actually, I think it would be neat if if we can still offer our prints. It's a very expensive show to do for um, for artists because we have to fly out there. We have to fly all of our people out there to help us. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to. I usually rent a house. Wow, because it's actually cheaper to do than to get you know hotel rooms for everyone that's helping me, um, and it just becomes thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. So if we can do it online, I mean, there's nothing like you know hanging out and meeting people in person. But this time around, if it ends up being online, that'll just cut all of my 
uh, setup costs to zero, which would be uh, which would actually be really great. But um, uh, but if I could choose, obviously I would do it. I want to go there and hang out with everyone, and uh, it's a lot of fun to do. Did you? But we'll see. Yeah, I I know we'll see. Did you find it um, easy or nicer when they had it in Chicago? Because that's a little that's closer to all of us. Um, yes. Um, let me try and remember what my takeaway was on that. In some cases, you know what? In some cases, yes. In some cases, no. So um, uh, just to give you just a weird example kind of behind the scenes, in some cases, yes, because we could just drive out uh, as opposed to flying everything out. So that was nice. However, the Chicago Convention Center uh, had this new rule that in order to bring stuff in, um, if you uh, had a van or if you had a box truck of any kind, you had to pay. Um, they had to bring stuff in for you. So you could kind of bring it to the back gate, but then you weren't allowed to take stuff out of your truck and bring it to your booth, which oh, already man. is scary for an artist. Cause yeah. it's like, this is your artwork and, and art prints that they can just drop and then everything's ruined or something. Yeah. Um, so here's the problem. They charge by weight. So first they take it to a scale, then they take it to your booth. Well, when we kind of figured that out, we, we did the math for what that would cost. It was going to be 13, for me, it was going to be $13,000. <laughs> Paper's really heavy, you know? Yeah. Wow. And that's, on, that's on top of everything else. So we're wow. like, okay, obviously we're not going to do that. So what we had to do for, for uh, Celebration Chicago we had to, uh, we drove everything out with a trailer and with a, a van. You were allowed to uh, do a pickup truck by yourself if you had a pickup truck, but that meant you had to wait in line. So they had 13 like of those garage doors like loading in. Only one of those was the do-it-yourself kind of where pickup trucks could go. Everything else was all the semis and the vans that had to pay money. So you would wait in line. It would take, no joke, five hours to get mm -hmm. to finally get up and you could only only what you could fit in your pickup truck so what we had to do we had to find a place miles away from the actual convention center uh, an empty parking lot where we could take all of the stuff from the trailer and the van put it in a pickup truck go wait in line <laughs> oh five hours go drop everything off at the booth go back to this parking lot load up everything again into the pickup truck and go back and forth Oh, wow. um, and we had to do that just so we didn't have to pay the extra money wow. uh, to do that. Man, Problems of having something in that. Illinois. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah Illinois, it's crazy. Illinois is the worst um, state. And they keep, <laughs> they keep, they keep, and just to give you guys, all right, just to paint the scenario a little bit. So um, there's all these costs, like you have to pay for electricity. Obviously, I have to keep all my my friends and and people that are helping me out fed and everything. So there's all these costs. Um, the cost of the house that I had to rent was five grand for the week. That was still cheaper than hotels because they were jacking up the prices of hotels. The cost for my booth, $10,000. Oh my. Gosh. <laughs> That's so a lot this, of Kylo Ren Is this Chicago's Ren fault or is this Lucasfilms or Disney's fault? Uh, like what, what's going on uh, here? Don't make them bite the hand that feeds them here, dude. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's, it's kind of both. It's kind of, it's kind of Reed and, but Reed is paying the convention center. They kind of rent out the convention center and they have to, they have to cover those costs. So it's kind of a little bit of, yeah. of everything, but they just, 
those prices went up a lot more. So um, was I happy to see it in Chicago? Yes. Did I actually save money? I'm not so sure I did. I think it was mm. it was probably the most expensive show I, I ever did. Wow. I, it was great. Wow. I, I made money. I, I can't complain, but that upfront cost. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, man. Well, yeah, they, you're poor artist, man, just trying to make it up there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think to close it out, we do have another final question here for you. I mean, yeah. a lot of nerds and fa- geeks into fandom and creative work want talk to and want to kind of create stuff for Lucas or create a movie, create a storyline, and you're actually doing it. What mm-hmm. kind of advice would you give for people who are interested in doing that? Gosh, you know what? Uh, there has never been a better time to want to do something like that and to be creative. When I was first starting out, when I uh, went to college and when I got out of college, you know, we didn't even have the internet, so we didn't really have resources. I originally wanted to be a filmmaker, but I just, I couldn't afford film school and, you know, film and, and, you know, the cost of film alone was so expensive. So I figured artwork was something also not cheap, but I knew I could afford color pencils over, you know, a movie camera. So, um, uh, the thing now is if you're interested in being a filmmaker, dude, you've got a phone in your pocket that can, that can film movies. Start making movies, you know, if you yeah. if you want to be an artist, it's never been easier to start creating art and you can throw it on Instagram and get instant feedback and start building an audience. And it's just um, uh, the only thing between if if there's this, uh, if you kind of see it as a road, like A is, wh- is where you're at now and Z is getting to that point of, uh, you know, being recognized or making money doing it or whatever. Uh, the only thing, it, you know, to following that path, the only thing getting in the way really uh, is yourself. And so you just got to do it. And uh, uh, it's never been, e- and especially the resources online, anything. W- when I started making my own comics, uh, I was drawing them on typing paper with ballpoint pens because I didn't know any better. I didn't know what the correct ratio, you know, size of comic book pages were that people used bristol paper or the kind of croquel drawing pens that they would use where now oh my gosh you could just you could google that stuff and you would know you know instantly so um uh it's just uh it's really cool it's it's and it's a great world for me to live in now too but um i would say i would say go for it um uh i'm stealing this from a friend of mine rick veers he is the uh he's the sound effects artist but uh, the best advice that he gives to people is two words. Don't quit. Mm-hmm. I like that. It. I like that. Yeah, me too. I always I want to ask people before we leave, what has been your greatest failure and how have you learned from that? Great question. Um, I love, I shouldn't say I love failure. I hate failure. But I do like in retrospect that um, you learn from it. Um, my greatest failure is probably a graphic novel illustrated screenplay that I wrote and illustrated called crisis. And, um, it's, uh, it was a graphic novel that came out. It made a little bit of money. Um, the reason why I consider it a failure is because I really wanted it to be, uh, a major motion picture. I kind of, um, put a lot of time into writing it and I just thought, I still think it would be great. But I spent years 
making it. I spent years writing it, years making the artwork, and I spent years pushing it, getting on a plane, uh, meeting with producers. There's so many times it came so close to uh, to happening, and it just um, it just never did. It still may someday, but um, I even have uh, probably the closest, one of the closest uh, things I ever had. Actually, Kevin Spacey, and no one wants to work with Kevin Spacey anymore. But when people did, why. <laughs> when people did want to work with Kevin Spacey, I actually have a letter from him where he was interested in playing the lead character. Um, if we could get this movie made, um, which would have wow. been which would have been great. And also, John Travolta was interested, and uh, so that was like a big um, uh, a big thing that uh, I just I worked so hard to try to make it happen, and. Uh, I know they say, why did you give up? But like after like 10 years, I just I just started losing interest. I was more excited about the other stories that I wanted to tell. What did I learn from it? Um, I think I'm not really at that hindsight is 2020 thing because I, I'm not sure that the story is over yet on that. But I think the one thing it did kind of lead me towards uh, when that just wasn't happening is just kind of taking matters into my own hands. and. Um, making my own movies. And, uh, and I think that is, uh, if it wasn't for crisis not happening, I don't know that I would have made my own Aladdin movies. Um, I don't know that that's the path I would have taken. So, um, I guess that is probably what I, uh, what I learned from it. That's a great way to look at it. If, even if it doesn't quite work out perfectly, you use it to propel the next creative thing that you're really interested in. Mm hmm. Yeah. Well, well, we'd like to thank you, Matt, for coming on the show. It's been awesome having you on. Um, you can get in touch with Matt and get some of his goodies at mattbush.com and then get a little bit more info on Aladdin3477 at aladdin3477.com. And you can always get in touch with us at Pod Wars Podcast. We'll be sharing links to Matt's stuff so you can get more info from there. Yeah, but before we go, just obviously want to thank you again. But, I mean, if there's any way... You know, our listeners or we can support you right now awesome. or in the future. Just yeah. let us know. Um, well, when I'm going to be hitting you guys up when uh, when Aladdin comes out, uh, when it's the next big uh, push, we'll have to. Uh, and hopefully, there will be new Star Wars stuff to talk. I know there. I know I'll have new Star Wars stuff to talk about. But um, oh yeah, I'd uh, I'd love to be on again. Oh, for we sure. we would love that too, man. You're you're a you're a guest on the show for sure, man. Any anytime you want to come back, you can replace Justice, <laughs> <laughs> man. <laughs> and on that note, everyone have a great week. <laughs>